Hello, folks. Welcome to Inside the Marble Palace, Post Media's look at Saskatchewan politics this week. I'm Marie Mandrick. I'm the legislative columnist for the Regional Leader Post and Saskatoon Star of Phoenix. With me, as always, Arthur White Crummy, who is our legislative reporter. Hi, Arthur. How are you doing, buddy? Good to see you. And good. It is good. Good to be back. And joining us, Adam, familiar face, Adam Hunter. CBC Provincial Affairs reporter uh, in Saskatchewan. Hi, Adam. Hi, guys. Uh, we're in unfamiliar Good. setting for the recording here. It, all in our offices, we're like 20 feet or less from each other. <laughs> but our doors are closed. We're following all the protocols. So purely her. Well, I wanted to be in the chamber. I wanted to be in the chamber, but somebody ratted me out. I can't, I won't, I won't mention names, but uh, let's talk about the throw, <laughs> throw and speech this week, guys. And highs and lows, because I thought there was uh, a fair bit of both in terms of this throw and speech. 25 pages is an awful lot of ground to cover, and they covered a, oh, we'll start with you, Arthur. Your highs, your lows for what kind of surprised you about the throw and speech, and maybe what uh, disappointed you about throw and speech day. Yeah, so to start with the substance of the speech itself, I, I don't think it was that surprising because uh, Scott Moe had uh, telegraphed at least what the main points were going to be during his uh, speech to the Saskatoon uh, Chamber of Commerce that was sponsored by Nutrient. Have to say that uh, he, uh, you know, he said it was going to be about crime. There was an unacceptable crime rate in certain parts of the province, in his view, uh, and further, it was going to be a lot about economic development and promoting growth. Uh, those were kind of the two main planks, and we saw that in the throne speech itself. Uh, there were a lot of concrete measures uh, to, to fight very sort of like niche elements of crime. So there was like a trafficking team. There's a, a, a team to crack down on, on people with outstanding warrants. And there's going to be 60 new police officers that are going to be hired to actually staff these things. Uh, so, 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 so that pretty much wasn't keeping with what we were expecting to some degree. On the economic growth, it, it was very, very familiar territory, right? It was, they're, they're gonna expand this tax credit that they have for agricultural value added. Uh, th this is really kind of a, kind of a sort of persistent thing for the SAS party, so there was nothing surprising there either. It, what, what, what was perhaps a bit more surprising was what we saw in the, uh, circumstances surrounding the throne speech. So obviously we had a rather large protest just out front uh, that was opposing public health measures. And uh, we saw uh, for the first time uh, Nadine Wilson, who was uh, ejected or resigned from the SAS party caucus because of uh, some disagreements over her vaccination status. She was actually the headline attraction of that uh, of that protest. She spoke, she encouraged the people there, she said that she was going to work for them, and I'm sure that we'll have uh, more to say about uh, her role in the coming legislative session uh, later on in our chat. You're muted, Murray. Well, we'll get that in. Well, let's talk about that, Adam, because we, we just finished a scrum with Ms. Uh, Ms. Wilson, and she basically, I think in more detail, uh, outlined what her position is going to be and her role in um, the House as an independent uh, member. What what did what struck you as most interesting from what she had to say to reporters? 
I think I think first of all the, the fact that she basically resigned every position she had. She resigned as a member of the Saskatchewan Party. She resigned from the caucus. She resigned as deputy speaker. We had a new deputy speaker uh, voted in today. It was going to be Joe Hargrave, former cabinet minister, and uh, just to you know piggyback on what Arthur was saying, she's I think is positioning herself as this person who's speaking out for those who don't feel like they're represented in the current government. We know that uh, everyone who's sitting, with the exception of Ms. Wilson, are fully vaccinated uh, on both sides, on the opposition and government side. And so she sees herself as representing this, you know, percentage of the population, of the adult population who's not vaccinated, and specifically people that are either uh, maybe have even been vaccinated, but are against so-called vaccine mandates, or, uh, you know, she used the word today in the House and afterwards coercion uh, that she feels that she's being bullied um, and being coerced into uh, acting a certain way or having to be vaccinated uh, to be, re maintain her membership and stay, sit on the floor. And there was a motion today that uh, I think she felt personally uh, attacked by uh, that would have excluded her had the motion been successful from uh, sitting in the, on the floor because the NDP was hoping to have uh, it approved by all members that you had to be fully vaccinated. And uh, the House leader for the government, Jeremy Harrison, said that would set a dangerous precedent if there was a majority of members who could vote out or vote, vote someone out of the House based on you know a number of different factors. She actually stood during the motion when the NDP was standing to vote and in the press gallery, Arthur and I were sitting beside each other and we yeah. kind of looked at each other and like, look, and Nadine Wilson's standing on? up. Does she agree with the, the <laughs> policy that's going to exclude her from 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 the from the assembly? And she explained afterwards that she was trying to stand to make a point of order, but her microphone was cut off. She did say, "I, I believe in democracy" or something along those lines. She later, you know, squared that with reporters afterwards. But it's going to be interesting to see how her role, uh, you know, just evolves through the sitting because we never we haven't had in my memory. And Marie, you you're much much older than Martha and I, yeah. and you probably have this Combined. experience. But we don't have uh, the, the experience of someone who's independent, truly independent, sitting in the house and coming out and maybe uh, offering different views, or even being allowed to speak during debate uh, and be, by the speaker to to join in. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Nadine Wilson says she's had discussions about that with sides. It was also interesting, and while we're on the subject, to hear, and I asked her. Um, do you think you represent people within the government caucus and your views? And she said, I won't get into the conversations I've had with them, but I, but didn't say, you know, I'm the only one that represents these views or any sort of um, explanation of that. So I think uh, she's portraying herself as someone who's getting a lot of attention. She mentioned Washington, D.C. She mentioned people from all over Saskatchewan calling her. So we'll have to see how this turns out. And, and Arthur, you know, as Arthur mentioned, really remarkable to see uh, her standing out there. We haven't seen a politician address uh, anti-max or anti-vaccine protesters uh, in that sort of way throughout the pandemic, at uh, least Saskatchewan government protesters, or sorry, well, yeah. Saskatchewan government MLAs. You were actually out there, Arthur, when she was there. And for some of those uh, anti-vaxxers, it was kind of like meeting the Queen. I think she even gave a little bit of the Queen wave on, on the way in, if I, or on the way out, if I remember that. Um, do you think she's kind of emboldened by the fact that she just recognizes uh, that she has a constituency now that she didn't have before? And I'm wondering what impact that is going to have on the legislative uh, proceedings itself. As, as uh, Adam mentioned, the last time I 
think uh, was in the late 90s when we had um, uh, a uh, uh, early 2000s when we had independent members when the uh, the Liberal caucus imploded. And at that particular point, the MLA Jack Hilson, who was sort of the remaining uh, independent Liberal, uh, basically demanded a certain per percentage of the questions as opposition leader. Uh, she can ask one thirteenth of the questions in, uh, in the legislature right now by virtue of precedent and rules. So what do you think from what you heard of her today and talking to her yesterday and seeing the reaction? What do you think, Arthur, her impact will be on this particular fall sitting? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, she did seem uh, legitimately energized by the rally uh, yeah. yesterday. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is really something to go from being a backbench MLI who's really kind of always on the margins of, of, of what's going on in the legislature to somebody who's sort of the figurehead of a movement, however, you know, uh, fringy it might be. She, uh, she, 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 she seems adamant that 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 she wants to participate. That she that she sees herself as the representative of a strong constituency, even within her own riding. Uh, there's obviously some uh, dispute about how much that might be the case, but uh, but I think that 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 she feels like she's channeling uh, a, a certain set of legitimate grievances into the public sphere and that's not really something that we've seen i mean the uh the, uh, the, the there's obviously a wide gulf between the ndp and the saskatchewan party on a lot of issues in terms of how to deal with the pandemic but they're they're both on the same page in terms of the you know efficacy of vaccines in terms of at least the basic science of this thing so i think having that voice in there is going to is going to kind of shake things up and is going to make it difficult for us because she is she is an MLA, but it, it's going to be hard for us to sort through some of these ideas, which in a lot of cases are not well grounded on the best evidence. Well, Adam, what kind of headache does she create for Scott Moe, who obviously went into this session with a particular narrative, and that is that I did as much as was possible and reasonable without um, uh, uh, stepping on people's personal freedoms. I think he mentioned the word personal freedoms about four or five times today uh, in question period in response to, to Ryan Miley. Uh, but yet I've done um, a fair bit in terms of, according to the Premier, in terms of putting forward pro, uh, policies that he argues have been effective and have reduced caseloads. I guess we'll, we'll get into whether the caseloads are really is... Uh, uh, being reduced as much as the premier claims they are, or, or whether that really means as much as the uh, the premier claims they are. But I think this could, in a very real way, throw the premier off that uh, narrative uh, that he actually has achieved middle ground in terms of this, based on some things that he hears from uh, uh, Nadine uh, Wilson. It also might create a little bit of sympathy for the premier in the sense of having someone to point to in the house each day and basically say, see, I am contending with a legitimate beef, a legitimate concern from the other side, not just the people that are screaming that we need to stop COVID by uh, uh, having more restrictions, but by uh, I'm being pressured by people who are saying the restrictions are too much. How, what did you sense from the premier this week in terms of where his game was at and whether these events have kind of thrown him off a bit. I think that uh, 
the the focus today of the first question period was uh, solely on recommendations and public health orders and doing more uh, to lower the case number, to lower the uh, you know hospitalization load, to you know limit the number of people that have, have to be sent uh, to ICUs in Ontario. And that was the focus of the opposition today, uh, specifically on asking what the recommendations from Dr. Shahab for specifically public health orders are not just general public health recommendations. And the premier has signaled, uh, you know, as early as the, uh, you know, before even he did the speech to the Chamber of Commerce, and in, then there was again mentioned in the government's throne speech that they they believe that the case numbers are dropping, that they believe that uh, they're dropping significantly enough that what is in place right now is going to be sufficient. Um, not totally dismissing a letter from more than 20 medical health officers that has been, uh, you know, supported in some way or another by uh, Dr. Shahab in some of the ideas of what the province could do to extend, uh, you know, measures. And, you know, the Premier also, I think, has has that to contend with more so pro probably than Nadine Wilson, who uh, the thing that she has going for is, as I mentioned, She's the only uh, public official, government official, uh, MLA or opposition who has come out with this position so publicly. And now people have someone to contact, someone who's on the floor uh, to express their, their views to that maybe they didn't think they had before. But every other member in the House, as I mentioned, is fully vaccinated. Every other member in the House, according to the government and the opposition, supports uh, vaccines. Uh, that was... That was echoed by Jeremy Harrison, the House leader for the government and the cabinet minister. So I think what the government has to contend with is that, you know, what we're expecting to be a daily barrage of COVID questions and pandemic related questions from the opposition, which are going to have uh, the premier on his feet and the health minister on his feet on a on a daily basis. Well, that's interesting, Arthur, because this week, for the first few days of the new sitting, I think the premier found out that he was going to have to contend with COVID a lot more than he hoped. His whole state of the province address uh, to uh, uh, the Saskatoon Chamber of Commerce uh, last Monday, and let's emphasize he was talking to Chamber of Commerce, so you somewhat expect a lot of uh, business-related, economic development-related, tax-related questions uh, and uh, points to be made in, in that 36-minute speech. It was remarkably little, actually, how much he talked about COVID in, in that particular speech and then had to talk to reporters later about it. Is this a big problem for a government that really wants to seize control, not only of the COVID agenda and the narrative there, but almost to move away from it and start talking about other things. I can't see how this week went terribly well for Scott Moe in that particular regard because of Nadine, uh, Nadine Wilson, because of uh, just the developments uh, going forward. Uh, was there a, is, is there an opportunity for him to move the conversation to something else uh, this week? Is he seemed to want to do this week by saying, well, caseloads are going down, so it's not as big a problem? Yeah, well, he's certainly going to try. And I think that the throne speech was as uh, guilty of that as the Chamber of Commerce uh, speech. I mean, there, 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 there was some acknowledgement in the throne speech of the uh, situation in hospitals and the pressures that the fourth wave has been putting on, on 
you know, ICUs, but there weren't really any concrete measures in the throne speech about how to deal with that. That being said, I mean, that that's not traditionally what a throne speech would be for. It's more about legislation. It's more about per, perhaps a few spending items that you might want to have before the budget. But uh, it's also a chance to signal priorities. And you didn't get the sense reading that throne speech that COVID-19 was a top priority. You would have gotten the sense that crime was a top priority, which may be true in a typical year, but is probably not true now. It's at least not on the same level in most people's minds, I don't believe. And I think uh, what we saw over the last two days is uh, it, it's not going to be as easy for him to evade that uh, reality uh, in the midst of a legislative session where he has to face uh, the opposition and the media every day as it has been over the past several weeks, where at times it has seemed as though both the premier and some of his ministers have been uh, ducking the cameras. Well, it, it's interesting. I, I agree with you in terms of uh, him not wanting overall to be talking about COVID every day or every moment, and Mr. Owen's speech reflected that. I actually thought, though, Adam, that they paid enough attention in the Throne speech to under other circumstances, to pay enough attention to COVID to afford them the opportunity to move on if the opportunity presented itself. Uh, but as Arthur says, uh, you know, despite their willingness to want to talk about crime, despite their willingness to want to talk about of all things equalization that Lord knows no one ever wants to talk about, uh, uh, they, they were still trapped in the COVID thing. What about any of these other agenda items uh, forward, as Arthur suggested, can any of them catch fire as to something to capture uh, the, the public imagination? Or do this, does this government not get that until it provides answers to COVID in either uh, reduced ICU cases, reduced, reduced uh, uh, fatalities related to COVID, it's going to just have to contend with it. That, that's the part that I'm struggling with, is why the government just doesn't meet the issue more head on and say, yeah, we're on top of this and we're going to be doing a few more things. Uh, I don't know what that necessarily means, a 28-day restriction on household gatherings, as was suggested by the CMOs. But it didn't seem from what we're hearing from Scott Moe today that he saw much need to go any further, as suggested by the doctors. Does he actually think that he can actually move on without uh, too much damage? I think this has been... The, the as Arthur said, with you know not hearing from ministers or the premier for for some weeks, you know he did a bit of a media tour a couple of weeks ago, where you know the message we were hearing now is a similar message that he was telling people a couple of weeks ago, which is you know the trajectory is is better, you know it is a challenging time, but as long as this fourth wave is kind of looming, the government's going to get blamed for its existence in the province and the fact that it's been statistically the worst province to be hit by the fourth wave. Uh, you could make an argument for Alberta, obviously, but you know, in the recent weeks, Saskatchewan's led, led in death rates, case rates, uh, we're the only province airlifting patients out to another to another province. And I think just, you know, the, the throne speech dated to me was so remarkable in a number of ways. We've already talked about the protest. Before you had another protest about people uh, who want changes to social assistance, and they're on the they're on the, the front line of the legislature. Their kind of uh, protest stops and they're sort of overtaken or it's it's uh, overlapped by this second protest about vaccine mandates. Meanwhile, inside, you're welcoming guests in for the first time. 
and these guests are coming through this whole pomp and ceremony of the throne speech and the lieutenant governor. They're off to be vaccinated and, and masked or have a negative test, but we're filling the floor of the assembly. We have uh, you know, all the justices there. We have a full gallery for the first time of visitors. And all this is happening while outside you have people very angry chanting for the premier to come out because they don't like the vaccination mandates. And simultaneously uh, at CBC, we had our photographer in Toronto taking photos on the tarmac of an air ambulance from Saskatchewan unloading an ICU patient from a gurney into an ambulance. I don't know how wow. you can change the channel on all of those things happening at the same time. And then yesterday, or I should say, you know, the day of the throne speech, Paul Merriman comes out for a scrum. All the ministers were coming out for scrums as were normally uh, happen here in the rotunda. And there's this crush of people, you know, filtering in and out of the of the gallery and out of the assembly going to a, a, a reception, you know, where there's tea and hors d'oeuvres and things handed out as typically would happen in a normal year. And you're kind of struck by the juxtaposition of all the things that are happening at once in this province and outside of this province now that all have to do in some way with COVID. Those people are all having to wear masks. They're only there because they're vaccinated. Um, it's very remarkable the time that we're in right now and the moment that happened during the throne speech. I don't think we've seen anything like it. And that's probably why the government's not going to be able to just say, okay, hey, we got a, we have a crime reduction strategy. We have addictions, an addiction strategy. We have an investment in growth strategy. All those things, you know, in any normal year would get tons of, uh, of, of, of attention and they get media attention. They get the attention of the public. They would debate the merits of either of those things. And all the investment in the government that the premier touts that's coming to the province is all good. And people would be uh, championing that. But it's hard when you have this backdrop of all the things that are going on and coming at the, the government. And the last thing I'll say is we also have in the House, you know, a dis a, always a dispute of the facts and between the, the NDP and the government. What the uh, opposition wants what they're actually calling for, which you have to ask them because it's not always clear, and what the doctors may want and what the government thinks is is, is prudent. And I think that's going to be the tug of war and the push and pull that we're going to be having continually over the next five weeks or so. It's going to be fascinating. I, I wish we had more time to talk about today. We didn't even get into equalization, and you know how I love to talk about equalization. Um, Thanks very much uh, for joining us this week, Adam and Arthur. Uh, it'll be an interesting couple of weeks, a uh, uh, couple more weeks until early December when the sessions uh, is uh, ended or the sitting is ended until uh, uh, before the spring budget. And uh, I think we're going to hear a little bit more on COVID. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure you're right on that. Guys, Adam, Arthur, good job as usual. Thanks uh, so much, and we'll see you next time on Inside the Marble Palace. Murray, go get me a coffee. I'm just down the hall. I, okay, shall I, I, I will. It's very See bad coffee. Thanks, guys. See you guys soon.